All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter number 17. Genesis chapter number 17. Trust your heart was encouraged as we worship the Lord together in song. Thankful for uh, Andy's care and attention to um, group our songs together, to draw our attention to the character of God as we sing. Um, Thank you, Andy, for the songs this morning. Genesis chapter number 17. Last week, I preached a message entitled uh, The Journey of Faith, and we caught us back up as we jumped back into our Genesis series after a few weeks off. And uh, hopefully you can uh, remember the context and remember where we're at in the life of, of Abraham and Sarah and reflecting on the covenant promises of God. The title of this morning's message as we finish out chapter number 17, as we focus on the latter half of this chapter, is A Better Way. Uh, the title of the message is A Better Way. And I have a confession this morning before we jump into our message. Is that okay to do? Uh, this is just real talk with Pastor Eric this morning. I am the epitome of the stereotypic male when it comes to the assembly of really anything, right? And if your husband is here or your significant other or you just embody this as yourself, uh, as a man, you probably know where I'm going with this. Um, any man worth his salt is certainly not going to look at what? Directions. Yeah, directions, right? And <laughs> instructions. I even have a hard time pronouncing that word instructions, right? I just have never been good at following instructions. Yeah, thank you, Dave. Exactly, right? I, it just doesn't even compute with me, right? So uh, I, I have had some wins and some successes with this approach to assembly in my day, but I probably have more, had more failures than wins if I'm truly honest, right? And one particular story jumps out to me in regards to understanding this concept of instructions uh, we bought our, our kids a trampoline a few years ago and, uh, you know, in an attempt to get our kids out of the house and out in God's country and the blue skies and the green grass, uh, we thought, hey, maybe it'll help them to have something to bounce around out there. Four kids in a smaller home, you can imagine. Uh, they get a little stir crazy as well as mom and, and dad, right? So, so we need to get them out of the house for our own sanity. So we got a trampoline, Right. It comes in a nice, compact box, and you're thinking, man, if it's that small of a box, how difficult can it really be until you actually open up the box and you start uh, realizing that there are probably at least a million pieces in this little box, and you've got to figure out how to put them together. So we download uh, a, a nice, convenient instructional application that they make available for you on your smartphone or tablet. So you download this, this application, and the first thing, it's, it's even audio-driven, right? So as you transition from step to step, it tells you, you know, okay, do this now. It gives you a little readout or a summary of the next step. And before we even started, though, we, we go to step number one, and it said step one of, I'm exaggerating, of course, but it, at least I heard like 550 steps. Uh, it probably wasn't that many, but it certainly felt like that as I started going along. So, of course, my impatience as, as a man said, hey, 
This is probably pretty obvious how this works together. Let's forget the app. Let's forget the instructions. And I'm just going to wing it. Right, guys, you've been there before? And so the frame goes together. It's a circle. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? I mean, you can put a circle together. Going back to my square peg and around a hole, little game as a little kid thinking, I got this. So we get it all together. I got the frame, and they have all these safety bars and nets now. Back in the day, we just had concussions, and it was great. But now they apparently want to keep kids safe, so they have these nets and everything for the kids. And I got all that figured out. And, and now it comes down to the most important part, the actual trampoline uh, mat. What do you call that? Is, is it just the trampoline, right? And you got to attach the springs to it. And so I'm thinking in good logical order, we'll just go around in a circle, and we'll attach these springs to the trampoline. If you ever put one together, you already know my logic failed me, right? Uh, as you have to go opposite corners and work this way in a, se a sequential manner to be able to ensure that all of the tension in the trampoline is released so that the springs can be attached to the frame. So I get all the way around with these springs. How many springs are on there? I have no idea, hundreds of them. And I get down to my last three springs and I'm attaching this little tool to it to stretch it and pull it in. And for some reason, these last three just, they're not making it. They're not, they're not stretching far enough, right? And, and so I say, all right, it's time to man up, put my big boy pants on. I dig deep and I pull as hard as I can and the tool flies off and the string, or the spring flies off and I about lose an eye, but I get back on, I try it again, I try it again and I realize after probably 30 minutes of wrestling and having a full body workout with this last three springs, that these aren't going to go on here. And so with my tail tucked between my legs, I go back to the box. I look in the box and I see these white sheets of paper that are staples in the middle and kind of folded in half. And they have that word on the front. What was it again? Yeah, instructions. That's what it was, right? It's on the front of it. And, and so my wife draws my attention to this fact that, hey, there's an order that you put these springs on. And um, I had to take all the springs off. And I had to start all over again. And ultimately, I found out during that process that there is a better way to do things than my own way, my own understanding and my own logic. I mean, I'm telling you, friends, I was out there with power tools, <laughs> with winches, framing squares, duct tape, and all kinds of things. And my wife said, hey, you just really need an Allen wrench and a Phillips screwdriver per the instructions. And so, again, I had to put all that away. And I learned the hard way that, again, I need to follow the instructions. In a similar sense this morning, we're going to learn from the life of Abraham that following the plan of God, as he created it, as he designed it, as he engineered it, in a sense, will always be better than my own way. And Abraham in Genesis chapter number 17 is certainly going to come to that conclusion as well. So let's read our text this morning that we'll go before the Lord in prayer and continue to work our way through this passage. Verse number 15 of Genesis Chapter number 17. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. 
And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and did what? He laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house and bought with his money every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. As God had said to him, verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you are God, that you are sovereign, that you are able. And as a result, Father, we can trust you completely. What great truths for us to be reminded of this morning. And now, Father, as we look into your word and we consider a better way, I pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. We would consider our way before you, that we would walk before you and be blameless this morning. That you would cause us through your word to be changed, to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. So the big idea of our passage this morning is because God is the El Shaddai, Remember all the way back in verse number one, God declared that he was the almighty God, the El Shaddai. And so certainly the context of our passage is still anchored in that reality of who God is as the almighty God, the El Shaddai. So because he is the almighty God, we can trust in and follow his plan, knowing that his way is always best. We can Trust in and follow his plan, knowing that his way is always best. Thankful for that testimony that Andy shared during worship. We don't always feel like trusting in and following God's plan. It doesn't always feel like his way is best. But ultimately, when we get down to his sovereignty, his omniscience, his wisdom being far above ours, we can trust in our human sense as his creation, knowing that he cares for us, he loves us and desires the best for us. And the best for us isn't always easy and smooth circumstances. His best for us always involves his glory. 
So his desire is to maximize his glory in and through our life, many times using trials and tribulations and difficult circumstances to bring us to that reality and to that place. So this morning, we're going to observe three defining aspects of God's better way that Abraham learned in this final section of Genesis chapter number 17. First one is this. Abraham learned that God's better way always involves grace-enabled faith. Abraham learned that God's better way always involves grace-enabled faith. So right out of the gates here, we see God addressing the name and ultimately the identity of who? It was Sarai, right? He did that in the previous section of Genesis chapter number 17. We went from Abram to Abraham in a similar sense. We now have this same process being ascribed to Sarai, right? So we have Sarai, meaning, this is interesting, contentious one. Is, is what her name meant. And she is now getting a huge upgrade uh, from the meaning of that name to now Sarah, right? Meaning what? Literally princess. And so we have her going from a contentious one to a, a princess. And so there's a beautiful reality here of how God is going to continue to shape and mold Sarai's disposition and her demeanor towards God to represent that of truly Sarah. In the days ahead as Andy transitions into Genesis chapter number 18. So their new names, Abraham and Sarah, they were primarily given in preparation for this new and expansive blessing that was just on the horizon just a year later. It's about to enter their home through this promise of offspring through Isaac. None of this This change in their identity, their change in their name, this covenant relationship, this promise of a son Isaac as they were advanced in years, none of this was of their own doing, right? This is all the, the, the enabled grace that has been brought to them by God himself, him reaching out to them, him running after them in this covenant relationship. It's only, again, by the grace and goodness of the Lord acting in their favor. I mentioned this briefly last week as we discussed this idea in our A&I time after the service, but don't we learn a lot about the life of faith through Abraham and Sarah? I don't know about you, but I'm loving going through the book of Genesis because there's so much about the human condition and human response and human struggle in this relationship of God through faith that, that I, can, I can resonate with, right? Right? I mean, does anybody like to wait? No, we talked about that last week, but yet Abraham is being asked to wait for 24 years as this promise is being renewed and reaffirmed before him. Hebrews 11 starts out with the great hall of faith by giving us this basic definition of sorts. In verse number one, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's in our English Standard Version. If you're like me, I've memorized it years past in the King James, so I actually had to add it here in my notes to make sure I got it right, right? But it's this. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. I love those two words, assurance and conviction. Wow, assurance and conviction. Those are big words, aren't they? Up to this point, can we say that Abram's life has been lived out with the expression of assurance and conviction? No, we cannot. He's 
had some anxiety. Back in chapter number 15, remember the Lord came to him in a vision and right away he says, Lord, you're going give to me a, give me a child? I'm, just a reminder, I'm getting old. I have no heir on my behalf. When is this coming about? Assurance and conviction has, cannot be describers of Abraham's life up until now. The first half of this passage, as a reminder, was a one-sided conversation. The Lord appeared. He reminded Abraham of the promise and the covenant that was now given an earthly sign of circumcision. Abraham did what? He didn't speak anything. He simply fell on his face in response to the declaration of God as the El Shaddai and received these conditions of this covenant to walk before the Lord and be blameless. So up to that point, it's all good, right? You're thinking, man, Abraham's just a pillar of the faith, just like he's described in Hebrews chapter number 11. Abraham hasn't spoken a word at this point through chapter number 17. He doesn't speak one word until God does what? Until God communicates how he plans to bring this promise through the most unlikely means of what? Now his elderly wife, Sarah. As we read our text, what was Abraham's response to this declaration of God of how he was going to fulfill these promises? He fell on his face again, but this time it wasn't in worship. It was in what? It was in doubt, expressed by laughter. Wow. Are you getting like a little whiplash here? Some, some spiritual whiplash from Abraham's response? He, he fell on his face in response to the declaration of God as the El Shaddai. Just a, a few verses later, his response is now laughter. It's laughter. Have you ever been there before? You know doctrinally that you're supposed to trust God. You know um, maybe some classic verses that you can run to. And, and you say, God, you know, like, like maybe Peter, hey, I'm going to go to you to the ends of the earth. I'm gonna, I'll even die for you, Lord. But then God brings that trial your way. And he says, but you're going to be conformed to the image of my son through this difficulty through this challenge, through loss, through tribulation, through persecution. At that point, like, okay, time out, right? I, I, I want to be like your son, but surely there's a different way. Surely that process can come about another way. So he fell on his face. He laughed. And God's word states in verse number 17, look with me there, that Abraham said to himself. Abraham said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Isn't it interesting here to note that Abraham said to himself, He's, he's doubting, he has anxiety, he's expressing some fear with the how that God has expressed of, of bringing about these covenant promises. He's wrestling, he's struggling with God's way and the how that he will bring this work to pass. 
said to himself, this seems to indicate that Abraham uttered these words of doubt in his heart as he continues to wrap his mind around what God has communicated. So again, going back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, do we observe at this point in Abraham's life a settled assurance and conviction about his current circumstances? The answer to that is a resounding no, we don't. However, this is why our faith can be described as a journey. He's dipping down into a valley, a low point in, in, in his faith and his understanding of God's way and his timing and his purposes, but yet he continues to wrestle. He continues to embrace the struggle and he continues to put him in a place where he can receive what? Instruction from the Lord. It's by God's grace, the El Shaddai enables our faith so that we will believe in his better way. In its most basic form then, we could say that faith is certainly assurance and conviction, but primarily it is a response to God's word. That's, that's faith. It is a simple response of accepting God's word rightly as he said it is. We could describe faith a lot of different ways, but when God speaks, we listen. And not only do we listen, but we act on the reality of that truth through what? Obedience. So faith is a response to God's word. It's this universal and timeless strategy then for the evil one to do what? He attacks the word of God. We saw this all the way back in Genesis chapter number three, verse number one. What did Satan do to unsettle Adam and Eve about their relationship with God? He said this, did God actually say? It was true in the garden then, at the earliest stages of humankind, and it's true in our day. Satan will attack the validity of God's word. He'll cast it into question. He'll cause there to be a cloud of skepticism to, to, to move in over the truth of what God has said and what he has promised. So did God actually say faith is and will always be a right response to God's established word? It was true in chapter 3 and it's true right here in chapter number 17. Is Abraham going to respond in faith to the truth of God's word, to his promises? and his covenant conditions. Thus, following God's better way will always involve grace-enabled faith. Secondly, we'll observe this. Abraham learned that God's better way is always established on his terms. God's better way is always established on his terms. So verse Number 18 represents another shift back towards Abraham. What does it say in verse 18? And Abraham said to God. So here it is. This is the first time in our text that Abraham opens up his mouth and responds to what God has given him. All the way down here in verse number 18. So the first words that he will utter audibly to the Lord in response to all that the El Shaddai, the Almighty God, has communicated and, re and reminded Abraham of thus far. What is his response to the word of the Lord? Let's look first that Abraham offers 
an alternative. Abraham offers an alternative plan. All right, let's look at verse number 19, or excuse me, verse number 18. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He goes all the way back to chapter number 16, just a chapter before this, where Abraham and Sarai took things into their own hands. They're looking at their circumstances. They're looking at their age. Sarai offers Hagar to Abraham. They bear a son. His name is Ishmael. Abraham loves his son. He desires for Ishmael to be included in this covenant-saving relationship. And so although Abraham is eagerly ready to receive the word of the Lord, he isn't ready to receive his way. It's a struggle in our Christian life, is it not? We just want the promise without going through God's way and his timing. What do we try to do in those moments where we see a conflict between God's promise and his way and we want something different we typically present an alternative or maybe we don't even present it to God. We just, do, we just do it, right? We take the reins of our life and we make our own decisions and we go along our own way. And what ultimately did Abraham do? He's defaulting back to his own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Children, I know you've memorized this in Awana. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Abraham is confident that the Lord will surely recognize that he, meaning Abraham, has already solved these hurdles and obstacles. Right? Their age, it's no longer a problem. We replaced Sarah with, with Hagar. No big deal. We've overcome Sarah's barrenness. No problem. We've got a son. Ishmael is here. God, we've got this all under control. So instead of submitting himself under God's plan and his purposes and the way and the how that he was going to bring about this work, what, is, what does Abraham do? He, he defaults to his own understanding. He says, hey, I've got Ishmael. What does God do in response? He redirects Abraham back to the truth. Abraham offers the alternative plan. God redirects Abraham back to the truth. So verse number 19, I love this. God said simply this, no. God says no. Abraham's thinking, man, I've got it all figured out. I've created all these circumstances, overcome these obstacles, hurdles. They're all gone. We've got Ishmael. God will just include him. He'll be the way that this covenant relationship will be continued throughout now and all generations. And God simply says, no. I don't know about you. Does anybody like to be told no? I don't think any of us like to hear no. We like to hear yes to our plan and to our way and to our own understanding. Why? Because not only do we think more highly of ourselves, we like to express our own sovereignty over our own circumstances. And instead of submitting to God's ultimate authority and way and plan in His sovereignty, we create our own sovereignty. 
we create ourselves as our own God over our own life. And we live in denial of God's true sovereignty over our own life. So what does God do? He redirects Abraham towards the truth. He doesn't stop there. Verse 19, and God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. You shall call his name Isaac. We see this very significant phrase in this section of scripture. We see this phrase, I will. In verse number 19, we see it, I will establish. He goes on throughout this passage to say, I will make, I will make him fruitful. I will bless This is a very telling and revealing statement about the Lord. The Lord says, I will. So as the Lord redirects Abraham toward truth, he's actually pointing Abraham back to who? Himself. As the what? The El Shaddai, the Almighty God. So we see this running now full circle as Abraham starts with this declaration from God about himself being the Almighty God, the El Shaddai. Abraham then receiving these covenant conditions to walk before me and be blameless, he is then confronted with the reality of his present circumstances in his flesh and that God is saying that he's going to do this work through broken vessels that seem impossible. And then God brings him now full circle back to this reality that it is I will. It is God, the El Shaddai, that will bring about this work. Abraham You don't have to do anything. This is all about my glory. This is all about my power and my working in and through you. I have chosen you. I have sought you out, Abraham. So friends, I don't want to make too much of this, but it is so significant in terms of how God strengthens our faith as we move from doubt to obedience. He points us back to the source of all truth and he reminds us that it is he that will bring about this work. It is he, the El Shaddai, that will make the humanly impossible and make a way. This is what God does through the entire story, redemptive storyline of Scripture. God is making a way in the midst of impossible circumstances. So as we remember once again who God is, and we submit to his plan, our doubt is turned to that settled assurance and conviction that Hebrews 11.1 speaks to. So what does God do again? He redirects Abraham to that truth, the truth that the covenant relationship is God's to establish and will only be established on his terms through who? Isaac and not Ishmael. The third aspect of the better way being established on God's terms and not ours is this, that God blesses in the midst of imperfect faith. God blesses in the midst of imperfect faith. Despite these realities, we see that God hears Abraham in verse number 20. Go with me there. As for Ishmael. So God goes back and addresses Abraham's request to include Ishmael. He says, I have heard you. 
Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear you at this time next year. So verse number 20, God hears Abraham's desire for Ishmael to be included. But it's here that we see um, actually a, a theological concept established in the word of God. And it's known as common grace. The common grace of God is offered over Ishmael and his offspring. So what is common grace? Some of you might be familiar with it, but those that aren't, I'll give you just a quick understanding of it that I hope will bring this into context as far as what the Lord is, is saying here, but also provide a stark contrast between Isaac and Ishmael. So common grace refers to anything the Lord does for his creation that they do not deserve. So this could be both uh, within his covenant people and outside his covenant people. He sustains creation, right? That's common grace on the entire world and its inhabitants, right? That is God's goodness expressed towards us in, in common grace, so we most often speak to the term of grace in application to not just common, but, but special and, and, and salvific type of grace, meaning this, that it is grace that saves, right? It's saving grace. Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. This is our most common understanding of, of grace. So grace is often understood in this manner that reflects God's gift of salvation to undeserving sinners. However, God also shows his grace in a non-salvific sense. It's important here to understand this. He gives gifts to undeserving sinners that do not result in their salvation. Right? That do not result in a covenant relationship, in a saving relationship. These gifts are given, again, by his common grace. This is what we see right here in relation to Ishmael and his offspring. They will be blessed. They will prosper. However, this covenant relationship is only established with Isaac. So we've seen this morning that Abraham learned that God's better way always involves grace-enabled faith. And it always and only is established on his terms. So finally, we're going to look at this final aspect of God's better way. It's this. Abraham learned that God's better way always involves radical obedience. Abraham learned that God's better way always involves radical obedience. We see this phrase, that very day. That very day. Day. We see that in verse number 26. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. Once God redirected Abraham towards his plan and his timing, we see that Abraham did what? He obeyed. He obeyed first immediately. There was no delay. At this point, there was no questioning. At this point, he, he simply obeyed the word of the Lord as established and laid out in very specific conditions that were given in the first part of chapter number 17. He obeyed immediately. And if you're like me growing up in 
Christian culture, you'll remember that song, I will obey the first time I'm told. I will obey right away. You guys remember that one? I can't believe I just sang that, and that's going to be recorded. What a blessing that, that will be for us all to go back and listen to. But right, obedience is immediate. Obedience ceases to be obedience when it doesn't happen immediately, right? I tell my kids that we obey all the time. We obey right away, and we obey, wait, I messed that up. What do I tell my kids? I tell my kids we obey always, all the time, and right away, something like that. Just had a mental block there, right? But this is something that we teach our kids about obedience is that it's a delay when there's hesitation. You're wrestling with what? The sin nature. Immediate obedience is an act of submission to the Lord. It shows my wisdom and my understanding is of no value here. I've heard what you've commanded. I'm receiving it. Now I'm going to what? Respond in obedience immediately. Not only was his obedience immediate, but it was also complete. Abraham took Ishmael in these final few verses and every male in verse 23, as God had said to him, as God had said to him, it was radical obedience that was described by immediacy and completeness. Friends, as we wrap up this section of scripture, let's finish by looking forward to the New Testament account of the testimony of Abraham. Turn with me to Romans chapter number four. Last week during our A&I time, Dave Painter brought up Romans chapter number four. I believe this helps us understand that in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of wrestling with the circumstances, in the midst of reconciling God's promises with the how and ultimately resting in his character, Abraham's faith was constant. And it was constant because he understood that it was grace-enabled. He understood that it required radical obedience. And he understood that it meant trusting in a better way that the Lord had. And it was on his terms and his terms alone. We see Abraham walking this path of faith in chapter 4, verse number 18. He says this, Paul does, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Verse number 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no, unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Paul goes on in verse 23, but the words it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, friends, as we close out this section of Scripture, we can be reminded that this story, as recorded in Genesis 17, it wasn't just in a historical account of the lineage of Abraham. 
It was recorded, just as Paul said in Romans 4, to point us to Jesus. His life, His death, His resurrection, and the hope that we can have in Him. It's pointing us to faith. And understanding the immutability of God, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The requirement of faith for Abraham was the requirement of faith for us to be in relationship with the Lord. So friends, this morning, the question is this, have you placed your faith in the better way of Jesus? Are you still trusting potentially in your own plan, your own works, your own righteousness? God's word is right here this morning to declare that he has made a better way. And not only is it a better way, it's the only way through his son, Jesus Christ. For God's word tells us, That if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Friends, this truly is the better way that leads to life everlasting. My prayer for you and our hope and our desire and our love towards you would be that we could take God's word and, and show you what the life of faith looks like to be in relationship with God. We could show you from God's word what Jesus said about himself in John chapter number 14, verse number six, where he says, I am the way. This is Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. A better way this morning. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us. We thank you that your word is true, that we can trust it. Thank you that it is inspired and without error and that we can find hope for our struggling life, a life that is riddled with real circumstances, difficult circumstances. But Father, that we can remember that you're there in those circumstances, that you're redeeming a people for your glory through those difficult circumstances and through those trials and tribulations and testings and persecution, through that hardship. You're maximizing your glory in this world. So, Father, let us embrace the challenge. Let us embrace the difficulty. Let us lean in to that opportunity to make you known in and through our lives. Father, let us not lean into our own understandings, but in all of our ways acknowledge you. And as a result, Father, you would make our, our paths straight. Let us trust in that better way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.